Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing If Beale Street Could Talk. If Beale Street Could Talk was written by James Baldwin and published in 1974. And the film adaptation, directed by Barry Jenkins, came out in 2018. Yeah. And we're talking about it. We're talking about it. We just saw it. Like... a couple weeks ago. I know. Yeah. So that's the first thing. We saw this in theaters mm-hmm. like two weeks ago. So one, it's been a li- little longer. Uh, than we usually do. Yeah. Usually we watch the movie like the day before we record. Yeah. So it's been a little longer. Not to mention we couldn't take notes while watching the movie. Yeah. We had to go back and take We're notes. We're not going to be one of those jerks in the theater with like a light. Yeah. Like taking notes. No. <laughs> you know, all those people taking notes you know, during movies. You know how people do that and you're like, stop taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're not going to be them. We're going to be respectful and just sit on our phones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So if we're a little cloudier on the film than, say, we sometimes are with our episodes, that's why. Yes. Um. Yeah. So that's it. Also... It's kind of funny because we thought like, oh, yeah, we'll get to talk about this film adaptation right before Oscar season when it's going to be up for so many awards. Yeah. And then the Oscar nominees came out. And they were like, fuck Beale Street. And we were like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so shocked about it. I'm still so shocked. I know. It should have been in the best picture category. For sure. it wasn't nominated at all, especially considering... Like the source material, you know, James Baldwin yeah. is an icon and Bar- of not just the African-American community and the queer community, but mm-hmm. just literature in general. Yeah. And, and Barry Jenkins was not one. One. His movie won. His movie won. Best picture two years Moonlight. ago. You'll yeah. remember it as the film that beat La La Land. Exactly. <laughs> in the dramatic Oscars ceremony. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And just the fact that this movie got totally overlooked is. is yeah. Crazy. Yeah, Barry Jenkins was not nominated for directing. No. It wasn't directed or nominated as Best Picture. Um, Regina King was nominated as Best Supporting Actress, and that's it. That's it. And then the music, I think, was nominated. Music, which, thank God for that. We'll get to that a little bit later. But cinematography. I know. Was it nominated? Yeah. We'll also get to that. (laughs) (laughs) It's shocking. Yeah. And I don't know. The Oscars have always not got it right. No. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Moonlight won at all, I was shocked. Because oh, I me was too. Like, oh, La La Land's going to win. And Moonlight should have won. But that was like the one case where like something was done right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the yeah. Oscars. And really, it didn't even go right anyway. They fucked it up. So yeah, it wasn't a success for them. So yeah, they screw everything up. They don't nominate where they should um, especially they are very bad in diversity and they've tried to make things better. They really have, but and they this, still uh, are. This year's Oscars have been somewhat good. It's yeah. been a little bit of a mixed bag, but we have Black Panther. I for like best seeing picture. Black Panther nominated. Uh, Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and unfortunately, Green Book. Yeah. Which even though is about uh, racism and it's, it's like more a, of the white perspective. So. Yeah. There's been some criticism. Viggo Mortensen was best actor and Marshall Ali was supporting. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. So that's our quick Oscar recap. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we'll do like 
maybe a bonus episode on the Oscars. Yeah. We'll at least be live tweeting it. So, yeah, follow us. Giving all of our Cover hot- two credits with the number two on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> giving all of our fresh hot takes. Yes. Right out of our mouths. But to get back to Beale Street, it is really sad that this movie wasn't more recognized. And I would definitely recommend going out to see it because it's amazing. And if you liked Moonlight or have heard of Moonlight, go see that too. Yeah, it's it's... Both both films are very phenomenal, mm-hmm. but let's get into the one that we're talking about today. Yes. If Beale Street could talk. Mm-hmm. And the title is actually a reference, so it's kind of confusing. The story takes place in New York mm-hmm. in the 70s, and but the title, If Beale Street Could Talk, is a reference to a song called The Beale Street Blues, which is about this street in Memphis, Tennessee called Beale Street where kind of um, jazz and blues was sort of born. Yeah. And I think James Baldwin sort of mentions Beale Street as like a hub of black cultural identity and um, creativity. Yeah. And that kind of being like represented in other places like Harlem, like Louisiana and et cetera. So just sort of, like a reference to that black community, black culture, I think. Yeah. Kind of as a whole. Yeah. And and like, yeah, just the state and like world that black people were growing up in, in general in that time period, I think. Mm -hmm. And our story stars Tish and Fani. Yeah. A young couple. Tish is 19. Fani is 21, 22, 22, 22. And, they are in love, but it is a tragic story because we quickly learn at the beginning, near the beginning of the story, that Fani is in prison. Yeah. And the the both stories start similarly. In the movie, we get this really um, interesting, kind of sweet, beautifully shot scene of just them in a park. Yeah. Walking. And they're feeling in, very intimate. Yeah. And they're in these like really, these really nice color palettes. In their mm-hmm. wardrobe, they got the blues oh, and the, yeah. the yellows that are very complimentary mm-hmm. and the the beautiful park. And it's just sort of this sweet moment between them. And then we see Fonny in jail. Yeah. Uh, and Tish, not only that, but Tish is visiting him with some mixed news. Yeah. She says this line, and it's interesting because both the book and the movie are narrated by Tish. Yeah. So it's pretty much from her perspective. There is some departure, um, but it mainly kind of stays in her head mm-hmm. the whole time, and she's talking about it. There's so many great lines from this book that are pulled straight from the book and are in the movie. She says, um, I hope you never have to see someone you love through glass. Yeah. That's a really powerful line. Yeah. And I might be mixing up the words a little, words a little bit, but... It's really sad because immediately you know how she feels mm-hmm. and she can't get to him and she has to tell him that they're going to have a baby and that she's pregnant yeah. and here he is not even able to embrace her. Yeah. And she has to immediately reassure him that like, this is a good thing. I want this child. Uh, yeah. We're going to be getting you out. This is this is going to be a good thing and I'm happy. Mm-hmm. But obviously it's still this like mixed emotion of a situation because uh, you're not even married. Yeah. Which isn't the worst thing for sure, but it's still like another factor. Yeah. Involved in this. Mm-hmm. And 
Yeah, and so that's kind of, it, it starts off with a gut punch. Yeah. I think, for sure, mm-hmm. between Tish and Fani. It getting in the way of their their true, pure love. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the book kind of goes back into their, like, history together, and we find out a little bit of this in the movie. Um, they kind of grew up together. Yeah. Became friends from a young age. In the movie, it shows them, like, taking a bath together as kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's really cute. <laughs> in the book, they become friends when um, they're each six and nine years old. And just kind of, they play on the same block. They know each other. And then they just kind of cling to each other. They become good friends. And Tish talks about how they fall in love with each other really slowly, kind of not yeah. realizing it. And But how, like, sweet... This is like a classic love story. You know what I mean? Like boy yeah. next door, like, you know, grows up with him her whole life. And then one day realizes that like he's a man and she loves him and she's attracted to him. Yeah. Yeah. And like it just kind of crept up on both of them. Yet under the surface, they both have kind of known that like they belong to each other, as they basically put it, that like, yeah, you know, they're entwined and that they would kind of do anything for each other. And mm-hmm. it's kind of very a natural fit, despite them not actively thinking about it. Yeah. And despite the facts that the fact that their families are very different as well. Yeah. This was something I really enjoyed from the book, because in the movie and we saw the movie before reading the book. Yeah. We find out that Fani has a very, very religious mother. Yeah. And. It's interesting because the movie kind of it, it doesn't go into their childhood that much. No. And then honestly, with what without with the exception of the one scene with his mom, his mom isn't brought up again, really. No, and I just kind of kept thinking, like, how does that work? Like, how how did Fani grow up with this mother? Yeah, he doesn't seem overly religious, mm-hmm. if at all. And like, how did that work and how did this kind of relationship come about? So it was interesting in the book getting that perspective. Getting the backstory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Fani's kind of story with his family is his mom is very religious and then he has two older sisters who are also kind of similar in either being religious or pretending to be, at least, mm-hmm. and kind of uppity. And then Fani and his father kind of being kindred spirits yeah. and Fonny feeling like nobody in his family really loved him except his father. And yeah. so they kind of have much more of a connection. And so it gives us an understanding of like why his mom kind of drops out of the story yeah. and doesn't, isn't really an important part of Fonny's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we move into the story and as we try to get Fonny out of jail, um, it's pretty much, you know, Tish's family and Fonny's dad, who are really working to help Fonny. Yeah. His mom and his sisters kind of don't care. No. And this also explains why Fonny grew up so close to Tish and her yeah. parents. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, even though he had his dad, uh, he still kind of, like, relied on the support of Tish's family. Yeah. Which was another thing I thought of watching the movie. I'm like, his, his family doesn't seem like... Um, As important to the story. Well, I was going to say, they don't seem, like, poor or in need or, like necessarily inactive in his life so like why did it seem like him and tish why does it seem like he was raised in tish's house almost yeah yeah you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so that's that was another thing that was kind of answered a little bit in the extended story of the text yeah Mm -hmm. we also get a scene where they go to church together yeah that was very very interesting Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and how funny just kind of like is not religious tish wasn't really brought up to be religious either and um yeah 
we kind of see more of Fani's family in this pivotal scene where Tish goes home after talking to Fani. Yeah. And ends up telling her mom that she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. It's funny, in the book, her mom kind of knows already. Yeah. She was yeah. like, yeah, I knew, okay. <laughs> I love, it was kind of like everyone knew before yeah. it was said. Yeah. Like, as soon as it was like, I need to tell you something, like, kind of like, it clicks, and even mm-hmm. though you're not actively thinking about it, you're prepared for that, and you kind of know it's coming. Yeah. Yeah, and so, and it is... I really love it because in the movie, it cuts before she even says the words. Yeah. It's just her struggling to say, to say out it. out loud. I think, right? We don't. Yeah. Okay. I want to make sure I wasn't mm-hmm. confusing it with the trailer, which cuts there. Yeah. Um, in the movie, or I'm sorry, bleh, in the book, we get this really great interaction, though, where she is talking to her mom about it. Mm-hmm. And she says, like, I know we're not married. And, you know, it is kind of like backtracking and like kind of apologizing almost yeah. and her mom just cuts her off and is like listen that doesn't matter yeah like it doesn't you know don't think that you're like a bad girl mm-hmm. or anything and her mom says something that i found really interesting her mom says like when we were brought to this country as slaves and lived as slaves we didn't have the luxury of being able to marry the people we love before we had kids with them yeah they weren't allowed to yeah marry. that was mm-hmm. like taken away from us yeah and kind of just like bringing that into focus of like they weren't any less like um in love pure or, or in yeah. love back then for those reasons and it kind of like in her eyes carries over to now yeah so i, I thought that was like a really interesting point in that mm-hmm. discussion that was brought up yeah her mom is super supportive and then her dad and tisha's sister ernestine come home and the mom tells them as well and Like, the dad is like, are you sure that you want this baby? Mm -hmm. Like, you're very young. Like, I just want what's best for you. But once Tish tells him, like, this is what I want. Like, I love Fonny. I want us to have our life together. I know he's in jail, but, like, this is important to me. As soon as she expresses how she feels, her whole family is very supportive. Which is so beautiful. Such a perfect response to this because one, they don't assume that she wants to keep the baby because she's very young. Yeah. Her partner is in jail and like they don't know what the future holds. So for them to be like, Tish, is this what you want? Mm -hmm. I think is a great response to be like, you know, we're here for you no matter what your needs are. But then, you know, when Tish does say, like, this is what I want, you know, I know I can take care of this baby. And then her family's like, we're with you all the way. Yeah. I'm just, uh It's so, I know. And, like, I always love movies and stories like this where, like, the odds, like, the world is already so against, like, I the know. main characters and their struggles that, like, for them to have a supportive family and to see that is so... It means so, everything. Yeah. And, and this is really one of the main themes of this story. Yeah. Uh, is that, you know... Not only among the black community, but among like minorities and just those who are disenfranchised that that support Mm -hmm. and that um, just camaraderie among like a family and community and everything is like the strength of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like that's so pivotal to to people staying together and getting by. Yeah. And I think um, the movie does a fantastic job in carrying that idea yeah yeah they get out some fancy alcohol to drink (laughs) and this was the time when people were like 
It's fine to drink when you're pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the brandy. <laughs> and she like stops smoking later on, but mostly because she just like it it's, makes yeah. her sick. <laughs> it was the 70s. It was a different time. Yeah. But then they're like, oh, we have to tell Fonny's family. Yeah. Hey, we should just like have them come over. Like, let's just hang out. Now's like the best time. And you're like, oh, do they all like, are they good friends? Do they hang out a lot? <laughs> and then you find out. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, besides Fonny's dad, who Frank, mm-hmm. Fonny, or I'm sorry, yeah, Fonny's dad is Frank. Yeah. Uh, besides him kind of being friends with Tish's dad, Joe. Yeah. They seem to be close. The rest of the family, though. No. Not so much. They hate each other. They really can't stand <laughs> each other. They all come over. And of course, there's it's like this whole setup, this big scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fonny's mom comes in and she's all like fancy and uppity. And his sisters are there and they're being like kind of uh, smug. Don't really want to talk to Tish and her sister at all. Yeah. And then they're finally like, OK, why are we here? What's going on? And then Tish is like, Fonny and I are going to have a baby. Yeah. And boy... Does the <laughs> does shit just go down after yeah, this? Yeah. Where the first question is, who's going to take care of this baby? And of course, Tish is like the mother and the father. Yeah. And you you quickly realize that Fonny's parents, Fonny's mother, I'm sorry, and his sisters don't have much sympathy for him being in jail. Which is really sad. Yeah. And uh, Fonny's mom makes this comment like, well, maybe this is like God's plan for testing him and it's to bring him back to the Lord or something as if God put him in jail yeah, to bring him back to Jesus or something dumb like that. And it's just, it's so, it's such a slap, not only in Fonny's face, but in Tish's as well. Yeah. And she implies too that Tish was like Fonny's downfall and that she's leading him on the path of destruction and that like they sinned because they had sex when they weren't married and this whole thing and that they like almost deserve what's happening to them. And then she also tells Tish that she hopes the baby like shrivels up in her womb, like some awful, like cursing her type shit. Yeah. Uh, And (laughs) this prompts Frank. Frank is not too happy about that. Because he loves Fonny and is excited to hear that Fonny's going to have a baby because mm-hmm. that'll be his grandchild. And so he like backhands Fonny's mom and she goes down. Like it's yeah. not just like a slap. Like he hits her hard and she goes down. Yeah. And it's like I'm not condoning any kind of violence, of course. And it's like no. it was still like uncalled for. But I've also never felt more like. almost like ambivalent towards like domestic (laughs) violence in a film where I'm like, I mean, I don't feel like super bad for her because she was just so horrible. Being horrifying to Tish, but you know, he should never, no, you should never hit anyone for stuff like that or anything. Yeah. Um, but then, but it clearly shows us the dysfunction in Fonny's parents relationship. Yeah. Yeah. They're clearly, out of love and like not really mm-hmm. a there, team. There's not respect between them. No, no. Yeah. Uh, so Frank quickly leaves after this encounter 
and Joe follows Tish's dad uh, just to kind of make sure he's okay. Yeah. And to also just, like, get him out of here because, mm-hmm. like, things have gone to shit. And it's so funny because, like, even though we know that they are, like, um, not on the best of terms. Yeah. Fonnie and Tish's parents. Like, Tish's parents are like, okay, let's just, like, be nice, invite them over. Yeah. But as soon as, like, this happened, they're they like, are just like, fuck you. The gloves are Get off. out. <laughs> I never want to see you again. I've always hated you. You suck. You're disgusting. There are so many lines. Oh, one-liners. Of, yeah, one-liners of just... Uh, Tish's sister and her mom just like trash talking, throwing <laughs> shade, just everything. Oh my god! At Fonny's sisters and mother. Yeah, the Ernestine Tish's sister throws in a, a few lines about how Fonny's sisters can't get laid. Yeah, and no one wants to fuck them. <laughs> and then and how she wants to like rip out the one sister's Adam's apple. Yeah, yeah, which is like applying that she's masculine and then also implying that she's going to kill her at the same time. I'm like, what is happening? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she tells Fonny's mom that she hopes she gets uh, ovarian cancer. I yeah. was like, shit. <laughs> they, they're just burning bridges left and right. They're just like, I don't want. And in the book, she just tells him, if I ever see you near Tish or anywhere, I'll kill you. Yeah. It's just like you have had, that was your chance to be involved at all in this child's life and you have just thrown it out the window. So I mm-hmm. don't ever want to see you again. Yeah. And it's like funny, but it's also really sad because you do see how Fonny's mom and sisters kind of have sort of washed their hands of him mm-hmm. and this whole situation. And this paves the way for the rest of the story where we don't really hear from um, Fonny's mom and sisters that much no. through the rest of the movie and through the, most of the book as well because they're not really invested in trying to get Fonny out while everyone else is, you know, working to on his case and trying to get money for lawyers and things like that. They're just not doing anything, which is really sad. It is. It Yeah, it is really sad. And I think this plays a little bit into uh, James Baldwin, the author, uh, has some background with religion. Yeah. He was religious at one point and was some kind of like, as a teenager, some type of like assistant pastor mm-hmm. for a while. Um, but then eventually kind of saw religion as like mostly just being hypocritical. Yeah. And had kind of like just kind of denounced like basically all religions for the rest of it. Not denounced, but just kind of like yeah. separated himself from religion. Well, and he, his stepfather was a minister and his stepfather was very um, kind of strict and harsh with him. Yeah. And I think that also stuck with him as well and gave that a bad impression. But in general, and I've read this, the only other thing I've read by James Baldwin was um, The Fire Next Time, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a long form essay just about like, being black in America and religion. And he talks about religion a lot as well. Not only Christianity, but also nation of Islam, which is the religion that Malcolm X was a part of for a time. Um, and how these parts of the black of black life are almost, it was, it was kind of his view that religion was hindering African Americans rather Mm. than helping them. And that it was especially Christianity that Christianity kind of, encouraged black people to 
wait for their freedom in the afterlife. Yeah. And to like hold out for that instead of trying to make like a better now. Yeah, I, I do. I remember reading that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, which probably now is probably a good time to just kind of like say that we are if, if you don't know who we are as people, we are two white people. We are very white. If you couldn't tell by the sound of our voice <laughs> and just everything about us. Yeah, we are white. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously we are approaching this material as two white people. Yeah. And, you know, with. As much context as we can have on these subjects and everything. Yeah. And, you know, we we do love reading books about diversity from diverse perspectives Mm -hmm. and watching movies from diverse perspectives. Yeah. And absorbing that, you know, those experiences and trying to, like, gain some insight into what people in America and other countries and from other backgrounds go through on, you know, a daily basis. But it's also one of those things... Where as we're reading this story and like learning about James Baldwin's perspective, you can't just read something like this and be like, oh, OK, this is the black perspective. Yeah. And as this a is whole. exactly what he was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. And like, unfortunately, there is a definite lack of diversity in adaptations that are made. You mm-hmm. know, most adaptations for, are done from books that are written by white authors. So when we do have like a big movie coming out, that is from a diverse author. It's so exciting. Yeah. And we really want to do that stuff. But we also don't want to act like we are an authority on any type of subject like this. Because no. we're not. So, I mean, throughout this episode, we're just going to reference, like, other things, we like, other books written by African Americans, you know, interviews, um, articles that we've read that are other people talking about this who have a lot more mm-hmm. background and experience um, than we do. Yeah, yeah. We just kind of wanted to give that clarification that we, if we sound like we're trying to know what we're talking about, we are not. We don't, yes. <laughs> our our perspective is very limited. It is very limited. Um, But it isn't, I, I don't think, stopping us from wanting to, you know, gain these perspectives and yeah. just try to see the larger picture of the stories of these authors and creatives and everything. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah, and James Baldwin... Again, I've only read The Fire next time besides this one, but he's a really he was a really prolific and well-respected author um in many circles, and I would definitely recommend, you know, at least picking up The Fire next time or um reading some of his other material. And we said earlier they made a movie kind of like documentary called I'm Not Your Negro, yeah. which we haven't watched um yet, but I heard really good things about it. And it was kind of adapted from one of James Baldwin's unpublished works. Yeah, and it's kind of more documentary style. Samuel L. Jackson reads uh, entries from the story uh, over, like, you know, the film and everything. So it's kind of a real interesting-looking type of film, kind of unconventional in a lot of ways. So I I definitely want to see it Mm -hmm. after I'm a little more familiar with James Baldwin now, for sure. Yeah. Shall we continue yes. and move forward into this story? Let's talk about Tish and Fani's special date. Yes. Um, we hear about, and I'm not sure if it's their first date or if it's just the date that they went on that they both realized that they were in love and wanted to bang. Uh. <laughs> it, it's kind of unclear if, yeah, what the pretense for this night were, was. Like, yeah. is this something they usually did and it just felt different this time? 
or was it kind of established as a date before they went out? It's kind of not totally clear, which I think is fine. Yeah, especially in a relationship like this where they are friends for so long and then Mm -hmm. only slowly realize they're in love. But they, you know, take the subway and they go and get dinner at this Mexican restaurant that Fani knows all the employees there. And Fani also speaks Spanish. Yeah. Which and is pretty cool. Tish is like, ooh, like there's like hidden depths to you that I didn't know about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so they just have this like really sweet romantic evening together. Mm-hmm. And they go back to his place, mm-hmm. his pad. He's like do you want to see my place? And she's <laughs> I can like, show you around. It's getting kind of late. She's like, <laughs> it's pa- really close by. Like, your parents won't mind if you're a little late. <laughs> uh, so they go back to his place and they have sex. Yeah. And for Tish, it's the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the movie does this in a very, it's very beautiful. It's very romantic. Yeah. Even their first time having sex is kind of this beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. And you can tell it's like a little awkward for yeah. them. Uh, but the music. Yeah. The music, Adina. The music in is this movie, so good. This is one of the best soundtracks I've heard. I know. In a movie in years. Yeah. It's just all of it is gorgeous. Yeah. It has like it has a, a jazz yes. feel to it in a lot of the um, score. And. Lots of strings as well in some of the um, scenes. It's just very sweeping and moving and emotional. And like later on, I went back and listened to the soundtrack and I could like clearly picture the scenes when they were happening. Yeah. And it brought like such a feeling back to me, which you know, like if you can feel that impacted by the soundtrack, then it's a good one. For sure. Yeah. And, and even though it's like a larger kind of orchestral arrangement there's always like a focus at every point at either on like a trumpet or a violin or some specific instrument and it just is so just gorgeous and really carries this movie in a lot of ways yeah you should listen to the soundtrack right now it's so good we did read an interesting article or two though Mm -hmm. that kind of talked about the beauty of this movie. Yeah. And the beauty of like the actors in it mm-hmm. are very, very attractive people. Uh, and, and the, the scenery, even though it, it's seventies, New York and not in like the greatest neighborhoods still yeah. feels lush and beautiful. It's very well lit. Yes. Very well lit. <laughs> There's good lighting everywhere for everyone. That's true. And I'm like, what world is this <laughs> that I can stumble around in where I'm always well lit? <laughs> yeah. And it feels natural, but you're still very well lit. Yes. <laughs> but we read some articles that were interesting in terms of kind of bringing this up as somewhat of a point of contention. Yeah. Because they kind of said that in the original novel, James Baldwin doesn't describe Tish and Fani as being traditionally attractive or beautiful. Yeah. They talk about Tish being very dark and Fani as well, which is often viewed as less attractive. Yeah. Um, And also people say that Tish is like not super great looking. No. (laughs) And she's extremely kind of just thin. She said she's never had any breasts or a butt to Mm -hmm. any extent. Fani is missing a tooth. Yeah. His hair is always described as being bad, uh-huh. like being nappy. And uh, and so they're just never described in overly flattering terms. But to Tish, we, we get a line 
that carries over into the movie where she says when she looked at Fani, he was the most beautiful thing she'd ever seen. Yeah. And it's so sweet. It is. It's very sweet. <laughs> but um, the point in these articles was kind of saying that like James Baldwin was kind of embracing, I think, a lot of things about um, African-American characteristics that maybe aren't traditionally beautiful. Yeah. But kind of like finding beauty in it in a mm-hmm. way. And the love between them. Mm-hmm. And they're not like models. You know what I mean? Yeah. And two, there's Tish talks about in the book how she felt like New York was the ugliest and dirtiest city on the planet. Yeah. And how she hated it. And not just her disliking the city, but feeling like the city hated her. Yeah. And like the city rejected her because she was black and talking about like the cops too and how they hated her and just having to live in an environment like this where you know that you're not welcome Mm -hmm. and it's dirty and people are mean and it's just like not a welcoming place for you for your lover or for your baby. Like how awful is that? Yeah. And she talks about having to go visit Fonny um, at the tombs, which is, I'm guessing where he's being held for now. Yeah. Um, some kind of prison complex or, um, holding place for people that are awaiting trial. Um, and it just being like this desolate, empty, like desert of a place. Um, and we don't really get that in the movie, the scenes are, you know, just beautiful. Like the cinematography in this movie is amazing. Yeah. And the color palettes and like even the scenes where Fonny and Tish are talking when Fonny is behind glass, like in the prison, there's this beautiful yellow behind kind of ochre color, like right behind him that just kind of like brings this like life and beauty into the scenes and like their costumes even though are kind of like traditional to the seventies also are very colorful and vibrant and like still feeling kind of clean and nice. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I mean, the, the thing I took away from it, watching it is that like, despite the terrible things that are happening to Fani, like there's beauty in their world. Yeah. Yeah. That like to Tish, like, there's so much warmth and love in Tish's family towards Fani and yeah. amongst Tish's family. And like, and between Tish and Fani, like that's what is kind of like coming through. And that's uh-huh. kind of like the focus, both with the music and the scenery. And like, it kind of focuses on that more than like the difficulties yeah, and like the environment. And maybe you still could have done both. Maybe you still could have had that warmth and love and still conveyed the grittiness and impoverished state that they're in. But I think they try to counter this in the movie with the Tisha's narration when she talks about like African-Americans in America at this time. And they cut to like black and white images of incarcerated after African-Americans, chain gangs, violence, like um, people being shot, you know, like a lot of these still images from history that kind of cut up this beautiful cinematography and kind of remind you a little bit about like the historical context of this. Yeah. Of being in the seventies and this world. Um, so I think they do kind of balance that in that Mm -hmm. way. I think maybe those images might not feel as immediate to us because like being in black and white and the whole rest of the movie is in color and it's very Mm -hmm. lush. So there might be, I don't know. I think it does try though. 
Yeah, no, it, it certainly it's not turning a blind eye to the problems of this time. So. Yeah. Yeah, but that was just an interesting thing that we both came across reading about this adaptation Mm -hmm. that we thought was worth bringing up. Yeah. So to kind of like talk about what's happening with Fani. So he was accused of raping a woman Mm -hmm. and that's why he's in jail. And on the night of the rape, this woman who is a Latina woman, her name is Victoria Rogers. She is raped. And then according to this officer, um, he saw Fani running away from the scene. Yeah. But Fani lives on the other side of town. And he was with Tish and a friend, Daniel, at the time of the rape. And he is arrested right in front of them and taken in. So, you know, Tish knows that he didn't do it. She was literally with him the whole time. And even if she wasn't, you know, I don't think she would believe that he would do that. And at this point, they have a lawyer that they're trying to use to defend Fani. But the problem in the case is that Victoria Rogers, the woman who was raped, has disappeared. Yeah, she's gone back. Well, we don't know at first where she is. But it, we eventually find out she's gone to back to Puerto Rico. Yeah. And so this adds just another wrench in the machinery of how are we going to, like, find her to, like, ask her, like, actual questions about this case, try to get her back for the trial. Yeah. Uh, so this is, yeah, just kind of. Fani is in limbo right now because yeah. the case can't really move forward without Victoria Rogers. Um, but he's still in prison and. You know, they can't get him out until this trial happens, but they also don't want the trial to happen before they can get good evidence to prove that Fonnie is innocent as well. So it's a really tough place to be in and they want to get him out before the baby is born, but that's going to be difficult. The, the things seem to be getting more and more constricting and yeah, it, it's it's a tough place for Fonnie to be in. Yeah. It, it does a good job of like, when things seem to be overwhelmingly bad, there's some light at the end of the tunnel. There's some possibility. So we're kind of also as the reader kind of in this state of limbo about is there going to be enough evidence to uh, get Fani like to save him or is it all fucked? Yeah. And are they like fighting a losing battle? Mm-hmm. So. So the way the book and the movie goes um, is starting with. Fonny in jail, but then it kind of goes back and forth in time, which is why we've talked about kind of things in different orders, because it's kind of Tish remembering like her past with Fonny and then the things that happened before he was in prison, which I think works really well because it's not just like, oh, their happy life and oh, him in prison. Yeah. It's like he's in prison, but like their life is kind of still happening in the past and in the present as well. It helps for you as the viewer and the reader to kind of like not just be totally, completely crushed, crushed and depressed by their present situation with Fani in jail. Yeah. To see kind of the light and love of their relationship before he uh, was imprisoned. Yeah. Uh, so we mentioned a little bit before uh, they have a friend, Daniel, mm-hmm. who in the movie is played amazingly by Brian Tyree Henry. Yeah who is a fantastic actor who had a, a huge year this year. Mm-hmm. He was in Widows. He's on the show Atlanta, uh, has just been in a lot of stuff lately. But he he's really great in this role. But he plays a childhood friend of Fonny's who shows up kind of out of nowhere almost. Yeah. And we find out he had been imprisoned 
uh, also falsely for a crime. Yeah. Which is interesting because this, this is happening before Fani gets yeah. arrested for his crime. So it's almost kind of this like forewarning. Mm-hmm. But, to Fani. But we already know that he's in jail. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and we get a scene where Daniel and Fani are hanging out and Daniel's kind of just telling him everything that had happened to him and his time in prison. And in both the book and the movie, it's just this like really heartbreaking scene. It is. Where you see Daniel just grappling with the magnitude of what he's been through. Yeah. And he's been out for a few months now, Mm -hmm. but clearly the impact of being in prison, the things he's seen there is just weighing so heavy on him. Yeah. Especially being falsely accused. Like he's accused of stealing a car and he's like, I don't even know how to drive. Like, why would I steal a car? Yeah. And, but they threaten him because he has marijuana on him And so he is forced to basically admit to this grand theft auto charge so that he doesn't get charged for drug possession. Mm -hmm. And he serves two years. Um, But he talks about, and God, this scene with... Brian Tyree Brian Henry. Brian Tyree Henry. I want to say Howard. I don't know why. I think it's um, Bryce Dallas Howard. Oh is my a God. Similar sounding that's name. probably why. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, and he's just talking about it. And you could just see everything on his face. And it's so well acted. But he talks about the fear that you have when you're in prison. Because yeah. he's like, they can do anything to you. Like, you are completely under their control. And you have to live with that fear every day. And that does something to you. And it's just like, it's so true. You know, how, what is it like for someone, a strong person who is confident in themselves? Like, I don't know what would happen to me if I was put in jail, but to also have the racial aspect there. And he says something like, you know, the white man has to be the devil because of like all this fucked up shit that like happened. Yeah. And it's just, it's so sad. And you can just tell like he's fucked up. Like Mm -hmm. stuff happened to him. He talks, they don't really talk about it in the movie, but in the book they talk about him being raped and the violence that he witnessed in prison. And it's just heartbreaking. It's really, really sad in the book. Cause like we only, we really just get this one scene with Daniel in the movie but in the book, it's brought up several times how he and Fani continued to see each other. Yeah. And it just seemed like every time Daniel would emotionally break down and just have to tell Fani about all this stuff. Yeah. And he, he was just and, and Fani and Tish both would like be there for him, like support yeah. him emotionally and physically and try to like help him get through this this time. Uh, in the we in the movie, we only get the one scene, but even in the movie, like it's almost enough just because of the performances Mm -hmm. and not only that, but uh, now it seems like a good time to mention the cinematography of this movie. Yeah. It is unbelievable. It It is is so beautiful. It's amazing. And Barry Jenkins does a really great job and he did the same thing in Moonlight with really connecting you to the characters. Yeah. And it's the way that he shoots the scenes with them, the way that he frames them, the way that the camera looks at these characters and it's such a interesting thing when you think about it because you know I'm not really the type of person that pays attention to cinematography yeah but you can feel the difference in movies that really pay a lot of care and attention to their characters and the shots and to movies where it's not really about those close-up shots <laughs> and those characters anymore we uh, 
speaking of like the Oscar race this year, we watched a movie recently called Roma, yeah. which is the Netflix film that is going to be up for a lot of awards. And the cinematography in that movie is also beautiful. Yeah, but, but we, completely opposite. But very different. And we both walked away from that movie walked away we, we watched it in our living room yeah uh, <laughs> we sat up <laughs> yeah um just saying how like we felt disconnected from the characters the whole time yeah because there weren't many close-ups there weren't like it didn't seem to focus on the characters and it was in black and white so the characters almost like mesh with the background yeah and which was disappointing but this movie takes such care and attention there's so many shots of close-ups of the actors looking right into the camera yeah like right at you as the audience and also it, it tends to do a thing where like characters will be sitting and talking for a bit and the camera will just kind of like pan down, kind of meander to their hands as they're talking, then yeah. back up to their face, then back across to the other person. It kind of has like a mind of its own, this yeah. wandering camera, mm -hmm. which is really beautiful and just makes it feel like once again, like you're sitting there with them. Yeah. Like it's really settling into this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But God, yeah, the cinematography just does so much to bring you to, like, the literal eye level of these characters and just to help you see them and connect with them. Yeah, you know exactly what they're feeling. You can see it in their faces. You can see it in their eyes. And you feel like you're there with them. Yeah. It's, it's, God, it's so good. It's very sad. <laughs> <laughs> but effectively Spoiler. sad. Spoiler. It makes you sad. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the night they found their loft. Yeah. The night they made that baby. <laughs> uh, so they're, they've been trying to find an apartment. And it's something that Fonny talks to Daniel about in that scene. Yeah. Where they just can't find an apartment where the renter will rent to a black couple. Yeah. If it's not like in well, even even really shitty terrible apartments yeah like in in terrible neighborhoods they won't be rented to yeah. and it's just so difficult for them which is like a huge problem that was happening and it still happens yeah to african-americans where you know the redlining of neighborhoods in terms of like property and then just refusing to rent to people i mean it's just it's it's upsetting but they finally find an apartment a loft actually where the guy who owns it is willing to rent to them. Yeah. In the movie, played by none other than Dave Franco. Dave Franco. We were like... <laughs> is that Dave Franco? Is that Dave Franco? <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, but it was him. And I really loved this scene in the movie because it's one of the few scenes that, like, deviates from... The book. The book. Yeah. Where it's kind of... There aren't apartments there yet. It's just kind of this open warehouse floor... And Dave Franco's character is kind of explaining, like, well, you have to picture there are walls here and there's a room here and everything. Yeah. And Tish is very hesitant. She's like, I don't know about this. I can't vision it. Mm -hmm. And so Fonny kind of plays up this idea of, like, pretending where the walls were, where they're going to put furniture, yeah, what, what will go the, away. The fridge will be and the stove. And, yeah. yeah. And he gets Dave Franco to, like, pretend move a fridge <laughs> into the kitchen and another piece. And it's just a really sweet kind of fun beautiful scene yeah and it's refreshing to see uh dave franco's character just being like yeah i don't know i like couples that are in love and like i want to rent to you guys because you seem like the good people and i want you to be happy i'm like wow really 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's nice we get this glimpse of humanity right before a terrible, a terrible, scene. terrible incident that occurs right after. Yeah, so they're so excited. They're like walking through the streets. They're like, yes, let's go back to Fonny's like little basement apartment and we'll like cook some dinner. So Tish goes over to the grocery store to grab some food and Fonny's like, I'm going to grab some cigarettes. I'll be right back. And of course, that's when some white piece of shit comes up to Tish and basically like sexually assaults her, like tries to like grab her, is all up on her and she's trying to get away. And of course, Fonny sees what's happening, comes over and starts to like beat the shit out of this guy. Yeah, of course, right as a police officer is walking past. And so there's this intense standoff moment and Tish puts herself between the police officer and Fonny. She literally like in the movie backs him up against uh, the wall and she's like shielding him yeah. from this police officer with her body. And it's just like that man attacked me like he was just protecting me like it was this, you know, white dude's fault, blah, blah, blah. And the police officer is like, I'm going to arrest you right now. Yeah. And then we get this great moment where the owner of the store comes out. Yes. Uh, this this like, old Italian This lady. old Italian woman. And she immediately is like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I saw what happened. And she yeah. starts, like, defending Tish and Fani and starts mm-hmm. just kind of, like, trash-talking the officer. Yeah. She gives a line, like, I've been here long before you got here, and I'll be here long after. And <laughs> Yeah. She's like, get the fuck out of here. She's great. And this yeah. goes back to, like, uh, not only the connection of family uh in this story, but also just of community in general between immigrants Mm -hmm. and people of minorities and everything, just kind of like having to look out for each other and neighbors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was a great scene, but after this happens, the officer is clearly peeved that he was stood up to by two women basically, and then didn't get to arrest this black guy. Yeah. So he walks away, but is, you know, clearly things are not settled for him. No. Side note, that officer in the movie had a very distracting jaw. Yeah. He looked <laughs> like a piece of shit. He did. <laughs> and just something about like you could see every muscle in his jaw clench and tighten as he was talking. And I was yeah, like, like a rat faced yeah. type of guy. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> just had to throw that out there. Yeah. Fonny is obviously upset about this. But he kind of takes out some of his anger at Tish, which I was, like, not cool with. Yeah. But there's this kind of discussion that he has where he's like, you can't protect me. Yeah. And she's like, well, you were protecting me from this guy that was attacking me, and I was trying to protect you. And Fonny kind of explains it, and I'm not sure I understand the full context of this, but that... Like, he has to stand up for himself because he is a man. And it kind of being tied to this masculinity aspect. Um, But it's hard for Tish because she loves him. Yeah. And so she wants to do everything she can to protect him. Literally put her body between him and danger, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's... He can see himself doing that for her, but not allow her her to do that for him. Yeah, yeah. And... I get the notion, like, of wanting to be the one to take the brunt of something that's happening. Like, yeah, like I don't want you to get hurt defending mm-hmm. me, kind of thing. But he just wraps it in this like 
gender role kind of thing where like I'm the man yeah and you shouldn't be doing that for me and I mean historically like white men have taken away um black men's masculinity you know and have trivialized it you know from calling them boy to just not respecting them in general um so it could I think you know Bonnie's masculinity can feel like a fragile thing, especially in the face of white racism. Um, So, you know, Tish trying to protect him maybe feels like a further erosion of that. Um, I read this really, really great book. I actually listened to it by Brittany Cooper called Eloquent Rage. And she talks a lot about masculinity and femininity from an African-American perspective and just the nuance of that. And I would highly, highly recommend it. That book was probably the most interesting book. One of the most interesting books I've ever read. Wow. She talks so much about so many things that I, you know, have no idea about as a white person. And she just talks about it with such, um, nuance and with such expertise like i would highly recommend it so it's Brittany cooper eloquent rage good good recommendation yeah. i i should listen to it i have audible uh credits to use up and I'm, yeah. not, I'm not listening to anything in the car currently so that might be a good one for me to check out also it's good yeah uh so then after this encounter they kind of reconcile and fanny apologizes for lashing out at her and they go to dinner together yeah they sexy dance in the movie. Oh, yeah. It's really sweet. And then they make a baby. They make a baby. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, obviously, it's not long after that that the police officer shows up. Yeah, and arrests Fani mm-hmm. for this random crime, which, you know, clearly he was planning on pinning something on Fani ever since the moment he got away from him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So a plan is formed with Ernestine about how to go about getting this woman who's in Puerto Rico, the victim of this rape, Mm -hmm. Victoria, how to find her in Puerto Rico and try to talk to her to come back and like kind of explain what's going on about Fani being falsely accused yeah, and, you know, figure the situation out in the movie. I was a little not maybe confused, but event it's decided that uh, their mom will go Sharon And I kind of didn't get why it was the mom Mm -hmm. in the movie. They kind of or I'm sorry, in the book. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, I'm like, oh, 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 for four Um, in the book. They kind of explain how uh, it can't be the dad and it can't be the sister because they're both working and it can't be Tish because she's pregnant Mm -hmm. and they kind of like eliminate everyone else. And it's just like and we can't afford to hire someone to go so Mm -hmm. it basically has to be sharon yeah which i guess made sense to me after i like read that read that but in the movie i was a little bit like why why her like it seems kind of random but Mm -hmm. yeah so she goes to puerto rico to try to find victoria and talk to her and it's this kind of like long shot like they don't really know exactly where she is and she's with this guy now and they don't know if they're going to be able to talk to her and what state she's going to be in as well. Um, and she kind of makes contact with Victoria's boyfriend, but he's not super receptive to her. No. In the movie, he does agree to let her see Victoria. In the book, he just says no yeah. straight up. Um, but uh, Sharon, Tisha's mom, finds a way to meet Victoria. Um, it's a really sad 
scene when she finally talks to Victoria in both yeah. the book and the movie. Yeah, it, it's incredibly sad, incredibly rough. Uh, Victoria at first is just kind of denying that's who she is. Mm-hmm. And then even after she admits it, kind of confronts Sharon about it. She says, I can tell one thing about you and that's you've never been raped. Yeah. And is just kind of finally like, not only acknowledging like this happened to her, but just acknowledging that like, this is a seriously fucked up thing that happened to me. And I don't don't think you fully understand Mm -hmm. the impact this has had on me. Yeah. And we're kind of led to believe that um, this officer bell who handled Victoria's rape case was basically like, here's a lineup of guys pick, pick this one. Like, yeah. And then you'll be done and this will be over for you. And for Victoria, she doesn't want to come back because she'd be forced to relive everything that happened to her, Mm -hmm. which is like such a horrible scenario. And this is a really interesting story and plot because historically, um, black men have been accused of raping white women or just touching white women and have been, you know, lynched for stuff like this. Yeah. So there is a precedent for black men being falsely accused of sexually molesting white women. But in this case, we have uh, a woman from Puerto Rico who herself is a victim here. And this kind of white officer taking two victims and kind of pitting them against each other and using it to kind of hurt both of them. And it's really sad because you can see how traumatized Victoria is. And in fact, this scene quickly goes to shit when Victoria kind of like loses her mind, starts screaming when um, Sharon tries to touch her Mm -hmm. and is just like, get away from me and freaks out. Um, In the book, you find out that she has a miscarriage. Um, It's just like really, really sad. Yeah. And I think, I think the book, I think both stories do a good job of acknowledging Victoria as a victim in this case too. They both, Cause at one point Tish asks like, do you think she really was raped? Yeah. I think she asks her sister. Yeah. Yeah. And her sister says, I think she was. And I think that she was led to believe it was funny by this police officer. And just basically admitting like she's as much of a victim in these circumstances as funny is. Mm -hmm. And so I do think this part of the story was handled very well. And just acknowledging that like, This isn't like anyone's fault, but the police officers. Yeah. And how the system is being used against both of them. Yeah. A system that really pitted against each other. Yeah. Doesn't believe women really and doesn't care about black men either. So. Yeah. It's uh, it's bad all around. Yeah. But so Sharon can't get Victoria to come back with her, obviously. And so she has to come back to America without Victoria and without Victoria's testimony either. Yeah. And this. In the movie version is kind of like the final straw. Mm-hmm. But in the book version, there's kind of this um, a stalemate, I guess you could say, that occurs because of this. Because the woman goes to some type of, is it like a psychiatric? I don't know what it is exactly. Like she goes someplace because of this mental breakdown. Yeah. And so they can't bring her back to the U.S. for the trial. And so... The courts are basically like, well, 
we're going to postpone the trial indefinitely until this woman is capable of yeah, coming testifying. back and testifying. Mm-hmm. And this means that Fani is in a position of limbo, limbo. Mm-hmm. where he's waiting around for this trial. Uh, luckily, a bail is posted for yeah. him, mm-hmm. a, a high bail. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But uh, Tisha's family is pulling together the money and mm-hmm. and and, Fon- and Fonny's dad yeah. are collecting this money for his bail. Mm-hmm. And Tish has been working at a perfume counter kind of up mm-hmm. until uh, as late as she can into her pregnancy. And there's a great scene in both the book and the movie where Tish's dad and Fonny's dad are kind of meeting to talk about how they're going to get this money yeah. together. Um, and, you know, they need money to pay the lawyers then they need money for the bail and they don't know what to do. And it's funny because in the scene, they don't exactly say what they're going to do, but then you like exactly know what they're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. don't exactly know, but then you exactly know. Um, Joseph Tish's dad has a great line when Frank is saying like, I don't know what we're going to do about money. I don't have money. And he's like, have you ever had any money? <laughs> Frank's like, no, no. He's like, then why are you worrying about it now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love that line so much. He's like, we've never had money. We've always had to like do what we had to do to get by. So that's exactly what we'll do. And I love her dad because this is exactly the type of guy that he is. Yeah. He's like, we're going to protect our family. We're going to take care of, you know, our daughter and our son and this, this baby that's coming and we're going to do whatever we have to do. And there's no use being down about it because like, that's just what we got to do. Like yeah. he is so strong. He is so firm and also cheerful and like optimistic. And he, he keeps Tish's spirits up and Frank's spirits up and like does his best. Even as he and Frank start stealing and like selling shit to make money. Yeah. Yeah. It just, Something we, we talked about a little bit, but like the dialogue in this story is just so good. It is. I love the dialogue. And so much of it is pulled in the movie directly from the book. Yeah. In, including that line about, have you ever had any money? Yeah. And there's another line that I, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but I really like where Joe is basically like, we're going to do whatever we got to do. Yeah. And Frank says, that's really easy to say. Mm-hmm. And Joe says, not if you mean it. Hmm. Yeah. And I just really love that line. Mm-hmm. I, I love dialogue that is kind of sparring. Yeah. Where one person brings up like an equally valid counterpoint. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, well, it's easy to say whatever we got to do. Yeah. And then, you know, Joe, it's not easy to say if, yeah. if you actually intend to do it. Mm-hmm. Which I intend to do. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know, just like so much of the dialogue in this story is very just just so spot on and so great i really love it it's really well written yeah (laughs) also something else i noticed is like a lot of scenes that are like a little bit longer like the scene where she tells her parents and then fonny's parents come over there's kind of like almost stage blocking sometimes like yeah time is taken to tell like how characters are positioned, where they're at. Mm-hmm. And, it and then ge- characters leave the scene yeah. and then like other ones come over here. And it gives you context into their characters. Like Tish talks about kind of being her dad's favorite to an extent. Yeah. And she's described as like sitting on his lap or sitting at his feet and he's like playing with her hair. And yeah. Like, that stuff all kind of like builds on itself to kind of just flesh these characters out even more. Mm-hmm. And James Baldwin wrote plays as well. So yeah. you can kind of see maybe the play. And I read he was also like a cinephile too. He really enjoyed movies as mm-hmm. well. So you can just kind of see all of that kind of like influencing this. Yeah. But there's still passages that are very poetic and like just 
um, deep dives into a thought or mm-hmm. concept. So it, it's this really great kind of mixture of dialogue and, you know, scenes and narration. It's really, really great. It is. Yeah. Um, so what's happening? What? what is happening? Yeah, we kind of jumped back to what they were doing to make money. But... Oh, yeah. Um, so they have this bail. They're trying to get the money together to get him out, but they think they're going to be able to get him out. Yeah. And that's when um, Tish starts to go into labor. Yes. And then as she's going into labor, they also find out that Frank, Fonny's dad, has disappeared. And it doesn't take them long to find out that he killed himself. They found out that he lost his job because yeah. he was stealing mm-hmm. to make extra money. Yeah. And after losing his job, they think he went on some kind of drinking, binge well, drinking. And, they heard, and he heard, too, about the trial being postponed. And yeah. And so they fi- eventually find him in his car out in the woods. Yeah. And then it's described about the baby coming into the world wailing and wailing mm-hmm. and wailing. And it's just... It's, it's, it's interesting because both the book and the movie end differently and they yeah. both have like optimism and sadness to them. And in this case, it's like bittersweet. It, yeah. The death of Frank is so sad, but it does seem like there is some hope for Fonny. They're at least going to make bail to get him out. Yeah. So he'll be outside of prison until like the trial finally happens, which yeah. is like good news mm-hmm. for him. And the movie has a similar story at first with the trial being postponed mm-hmm. and, but it's a li- little more uncertain because there's no talk of bail and they don't know when they'll be able to get him out or what will happen with this trial. Yeah. There's also a scene that happens in both where Tish is, is seeing Fonny in prison and we get kind of a, um, kind of a dream sequence from Fonny yeah. that's represented in both where he's creating a sculpture. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, I was very almost frustrated in this scene because it's like him. It's beautiful. It's him walking around this wood carving smoking. Yeah. So there's smoke and beautiful <laughs> light. And like, I just kept looking at the sculpture and being like, what is it? I can't tell what it is. <laughs> and like, I'm, maybe that was the point. I'm not yeah. sure. But I kept trying to think like, is there a context to what that, like, because it just looks very blocky and rectangular. Uh-huh. And I kept thinking, like, there's got to be something I'm not seeing there. But, like, I never could quite <laughs> grasp it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then Tish sees him in prison. And he's kind of in a weird state where he seems both, like, very sad, but also kind of, like, very accepting yeah. of his situation. Mm-hmm. And he talks about, like, I'm an artisan. Yeah. And he never knew what that word meant before. He never quite understood it. And until now, like, Fonny's woodworking that he's had a passion for has always been in, like, sculpture. Yeah. In the movie, it's very, like, abstract sculpture. Mm -hmm. In the book, it sounds more like a a figure kind of interpret, like, gestural figures. Yeah. Uh, And so he talks about being an artisan and how he wants to, he's going to build them a table. Yeah. That they can all sit at. Mm-hmm. And it's a very sweet moment. Obviously, there's the context of, like, he does still have hope of getting out. Yeah. That he wants to build this table for, like, their family, their family and, yeah. like, their current family and, like, maybe future family, like, and kids. 
And it's very sweet in that way and kind of hopeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, larger, I'm not sure if there's some kind of commentary on like him being an artist versus like an artisan and like what yeah, that what means. that distinction is. I think maybe it's that as an artist, that was a very kind of something he was doing for himself a lot, mm-hmm. something that he enjoyed and was kind of sacrificing maybe his future for because like he wasn't really making money at it as far as we could tell yeah he was doing like side jobs mm-hmm. whereas like to be an artisan and make like furniture and tables and stuff that's more of a career yeah so maybe he's talking about like finding that balance of like doing something for his family and like for a future for his family yeah maybe i'm not sure I, i've kind of just been thinking about that a lot and mm-hmm. trying to like pick some more meaning off of it but yeah but it's a wonderful scene. It is good. It's very sweet and sad and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. And then Tish goes back to Vani's apartment and starts having her baby. Yeah. And then her mom shows up. I'm like, how did the mom get there? <laughs> <laughs> it's not explained. Uh, and then she has the baby. Um, in the book, it kind of leaves off with like just us hearing a baby cry. In the movie, we see the baby born. She's holding it. She names him uh, Alonzo, which is Vani's full name. Yeah. Um, and then we get this flash forward scene and does it say how many years later it is? It no, doesn't say. the age of the kid, you'd assume like four, yeah. maybe five years into the future. You just find out that, uh, Fani took a plea deal Yeah, because things just weren't seeming to pan out with the case and mm-hmm. things that were going to happen. And I think ultimately he thought he was going to be better off in the plea deal. Yeah. And with a plea deal, you plead guilty for like a reduced sentence, basically. Yeah, but we're never told how long he has. How long he has. Oh my which God. Is just it's so upsetting. Soul crushing. Yeah. Because this little boy is like four or five and they're visiting Fani in prison and Tish is there and they brought food for him. They're having a little picnic and little Fani is drawing like a picture for his dad But it just is so upsetting and sad and soul crushing. Yeah. (laughs) And we're like, when is he getting out? Oh, my God. Yeah. It's uh, once again, like, like his dad didn't die in this version. Yeah. But he's still in prison. He's still in prison. We don't know for how long. And it's just like very, very And his son is already like four or five and he's missed all that time (laughs) with him. It's very upsetting. I know. Um, yeah, but that's, that's the way the movie ends. So very, two different takes, mm-hmm. two different directions. I don't know if what Barry Jenkins like thought process was for ending the movie that way yeah. versus like away from the book. I'm not sure. I feel like, I don't know why, but this reminded me of the alternate ending of Get Out. Yeah. Which I don't want to spoil anything for Get Out, but there is a, a scene, an alternate ending for Get Out where one of the characters is in prison and it's kind of bleak. For yeah. the ending. And I felt that way about this. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's hard to say. I, I mean, I think it's realistic. It, it is. It's certainly realistic. Yeah. Not that the book version was unrealistic. It was just more like kind of ambiguous about what would happen. The fates of the characters. Mm-hmm. We actually overheard a really interesting discussion um, from a woman when we were leaving the theater. She was kind of very upset about how sad and bleak the ending was. Yeah. And it was she was an African-American woman and she said going out, she's like, if I wanted to see uh, 
someone in prison, I could just visit one of the people I know yeah. who is currently in prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, which was really, and we heard them just talking in general about like. What is entertainment? Yeah. Yeah. Like, does it have to be happy to be entertaining? Which is interesting. Does, does being realistic, is that more important than offering some amount of hope? Yeah. I don't know. It depends, I think. I think for sure. Because I remember watching it because when we were seeing the movie and it was like, I don't know if he's going to get out or not. I want him to get out. But I kept thinking like it'd be pretty unrealistic at this point if he got out. Yeah. You know, even with all these people helping him, even with this lawyer, Mm -hmm. like just the things were so stacked against him. And for this time period. Yeah. Like it just I was like, I don't think I'm not sure I could believe it if he got out of this. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. so. I don't know. I I do think the book ending is realistic, though, in saying like, well, he's not exonerated, but we can like get him out on bail and then we'll figure out the rest when Mm -hmm. we get there. I'm like, that sounds like a real thing. Like, yeah, yeah, no, totally. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That's why I didn't want to say it was like unrealistic. It was just like kind of a different it just cuts off earlier from what the movie, you know, the movie version, which like could have been the book version. Mm -hmm. It just like ended sooner. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. So but, which one is better? You know, I've actually thought about this a little bit. What? You which thought I usually about don't. it. I'm usually, usually so don't. caught off guard by this <laughs> thing like, that we do every oh episode. God, I can't believe you asked me that question. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm so on the spot. <laughs> you know, for as much as we loved this movie. Yeah. Because this was such a good movie. It, it, was, it was amazing. Beautifully shot, beautifully acted, beautifully written. Just the whole gamut. Um... I'm going to go with the book because this was one of the best books I've read in a while. Yeah. Like out of all the books that we've read for the podcast recently, this one blew all the other ones out of the water as far as I the can The writing remember. is so amazing. I'm going to go with the book as well because to be reading this, you know, 40 years later mm-hmm. and to have it still be so sharp, so good. The dialogue is amazing. The characters you immediately identify with is such an impactful story. And I think the balance between happy and sad and the bittersweet in this yeah. is spot on. Like it's perfect. Um, yeah, the writing is so good. I was really, really impressed with it. Yeah. I mean, it shouldn't I mean, be surprising given how prolific James Baldwin is yeah. as an author, but like still, even that, like, I mean, We've read so many other books that are, like, considered classics. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you've got to read Fahrenheit 451. Mm -hmm. It's a classic. And then it's just garbage. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, why isn't James Baldwin required reading in high school? Yeah. Oh, my God. Fuck all those stupid, like, 60s and 70s white racist and sexist dudes. Yeah. No. Let's get 60s and 70s James Baldwin. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. it, It was just... God, it was just so well written and I enjoyed reading it so much. Mm-hmm. And guess what, Adina? It was pretty short. It was short. If you want a <laughs> short book to read, this was like 200 pages. Yeah. 190 maybe. It's very short and I love a short book. Just, I do too. I'm just going to say. Just like keep it concise, you know? Yeah, and I think it's impressive to have a book that's short and that is so well written and gets its point across and then it's like, yep, I'm done now. It doesn't overstay its I'm welcome. Done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't think of anything else I would have wanted out of that story yeah. in book form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, and you know, 
like we said, we loved the movie, but even in the movie, there were some elements that I kind of felt like were better explained and a little more fleshed out Yeah, in the book. You know, like his relationship with his mom, mm-hmm. even that wood carving scene where he's like having the dream about doing that sculpture. Yeah. In the movie, it was like beautiful to look at, but I was kind of like, w- what is the meaning of this? Yeah. yeah. What, I didn't feel like I was fully getting the context of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the book, it was like more explained from Fani's like point of view in his head. Yeah. So. But book. book. Yeah. It's book for both of us. Book. 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 <laughs> Let's do lightning round. Lightning round. Okay. So in the book, <laughs> early on, we're treated to this amazingly bizarre. Twisted. Twisted. Fucked up. Um, well, I, I don't even know. what Role playing. Role playing kind of thing that Fonny's parents used to do. That in he order would to overhear. Bang. Yeah, when they would bang. Yeah. And it would always be, like, on Sunday after church. Yeah. And it was always this, like, bizarre interaction. And it's described for, like, so long in the book. And I can't even, like, read, like, a quarter of it. It's crazy. But (laughs) a little section of it says, um, and she'd say, oh, Frank, let me bring you to the Lord. And he'd say, shit, woman, I'm going to bring the Lord to you. I'm the Lord. And she'd start crying and she'd moan, Lord, help me. Help this man. You give him to me. I can't do nothing about it. Oh, Lord, help me. And he'd say, Lord's going to help you, sugar, just as soon as you get to be like a little child again, naked like a little child. And I'm like, ah, God, what is happening? Stop, 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 (laughs) stop. But they do like this weird role playing. And like, it's not weird to role play or twisted to role play in sex, but it is twisted if that's the only way you can be intimate with your partner because you hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's clearly, like, this very, like... Twisted dynamic. Toxic, like, not healthy at yeah. all. <laughs> but it was just... It is so much description of it that yeah. it, it is just wild. You gotta read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's on page 17, so you don't get, have to get that far into the book <laughs> to get to it. Uh, so not a lot from the movie for lightning round because the movie is basically pretty much the same as the book. Yeah. So we couldn't really find a lot. One thing I did want to mention though, and it talks about it in the book, uh, Tish and Fani are nicknames. So it's not their actual names. Yeah. Tish's real name is Clementine, which is nothing like Tish. No. (laughs) And then Fani's real name is Alonzo, not Alfonso. Alonzo. Yeah. But his nickname is Fonny. And they kind of talk in the like very beginning about how silly and like kind of funny it is that they have these nicknames, but that that's what everyone calls them. And I know like, especially back then and in a lot of African-American communities, their nicknames were more important than their given names. Yeah. So it was just kind of funny. It is. And those are like the opening lines of the book. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm Clementine, but my people call me Tish, which doesn't make sense. They but. should call me Clem, but no one does. <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> uh, yeah, like we said, because like this movie's just out and there's not a lot of backstory on it, IMDb had like nothing on the movie. Yeah. But uh, the last one I wanted to bring up is another one from the book where uh, when Sharon is in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. she finds this like young 18 year old taxi driver mm-hmm. to drive her back from the airport. But then she kind of recruits him to be like her chauffeur, like yeah. on her mission when she's like trying to find Victoria. And it talks about how uh, this driver, I, f- I forget his name, Jamie, Jamie, how he like immediately feels this like 
almost like maternal connection yeah. to Sharon and like wants to protect her and like help her on this mission that she's yeah. on. And it's like very sweet. And like once again goes to that idea of community and like mm-hmm. watching out for each other. But it's also just kind of like funny, like this immediate. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. Just, and he's like trying to get her out of these like bad neighborhoods. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just kind of this funny little like side plot and side character that kind of popped up in the book that mm-hmm. I enjoyed. Yeah. But that's it for our lightning round for that's this it. week. And that's the episode. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for listening. This was a really great one to do. So awesome to get to read a James Baldwin book who is not only an icon of the black community, but is also a, was also a queer man. Um, so it's amazing to get that perspective yeah. as well. Um, and then also to do a Barry Jenkins movie, which was amazing yeah. because Moonlight was so good and, It's so cool to see him continue to make excellent films. He's definitely someone to watch in the future. This is maybe one of the best, if not the best, like movie and book adaptations. Yeah. Where I enjoyed both like so much. Quality. Yeah. 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 So excellent. I'm really glad we got to talk about it. Mm -hmm. If you want to tell us your thoughts on If Beale Street Could Talk, you can tweet at us at cover two credits with the number two or Mm -hmm. email us at cover to credits pod at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. We're also on Instagram and we're on Patreon as well. So if you'd like to support us, um, we are on Patreon and we have a community over there. We thank every patron who has ever listened or contributed to our podcast. We appreciate it so much. From the bottom of our hearts. From the bottom of our hearts. And we are going to post some stuff, some articles that we talked about in this episode. Especially on this episode, yeah. Yeah, and things that we've uh, heard about. There's um, some interviews with, you know, seeing James Baldwin talk and then Barry Jenkins as well. Um, So check that out, whether you're a patron or not, to see all the stuff that we have over there. Yeah, and if please consider becoming a patron. Mm-hmm. And if you can't, please leave us a uh, review on Apple Podcasts. It seems like that's from our stats where most people are listening to us. Okay. So yeah. please like leave us a review or uh, just a star rating. Just click that five star. It's so easy. Yes. It's so quick. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really helps us out. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for listening to this episode. To continue with uh, Black History Month, for the podcast next episode we are doing the hate you give so excited i am too i haven't read the book i haven't watched the movie i know nothing about this i've read the book but i haven't watched the movie yet so i'm pumped i I know you you loved the book so i'm like really excited about this one so so definitely tune in in two weeks for our next episode you're gonna love it yeah and we will see you then see you then bye bye